Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Today I have a guest on the show and I'm speaking to Lauren Marie Aron, who is a highly specialist psychotherapist and also the director and founder of the Hope Space in Putney, London. Now the Hope Space is a sanctuary and safe space to support people with disordered eating through therapies. Now Lauren's passion lies in treating clients who struggle with a disordered relationship with food and body. And in her work, she utilizes a range of therapeutic methods, incorporating the principles of sound social work and integrating psychodynamic psychotherapy. Additionally, she has a strong interest in CBTE, cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders. Lauren also integrates transactional analysis to explore how our interactions with others influence our experiences. And furthermore, she utilizes EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing to address trauma and reprocess negative core beliefs that can impact your life. In this episode today, Lauren is going to do a deep dive into bariatric surgery and eating disorders, an area that's absolutely not talked about enough, but we know that many people struggle with eating disorders before and after surgery. So Lauren is going to talk about prevalence and risk factors for the bariatric population. She's going to explore screening and assessment because this is so important for people to be assessed for eating disorders before they go down this route. She's going to explore the complex interplay between bariatric surgery and eating disorders, considering the psychological, emotional and behavioral aspects. She's going to look at post-surgery challenges and to really emphasize as well the collaborative care approach that is so needed when working with this client group. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with Lauren today to get her insights and expertise and understanding in this whole area. So let's get to the conversation. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Harriet. Really appreciate it. So excited to be here with you today. Uh, so, Lauren, could you just tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in the Hope Space, which is you're the founder and director and also a psychotherapist. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I'm an eating disorder specialist and I created the Hope Space. It was my little passion project. Because I've always been really passionate about working with clients with disordered eating. And I really wanted a practice that kind of encompassed the values of individualized care, quality treatment. That was where the hope space kind of bloomed. And that's the work that I do. And I'm the psychotherapist. And I also collaborate with other professionals to kind of really try and get a holistic approach to treatment. Hey, and do you do face-to-face and online work? Yes, I do. I have a little office in Putney where I see clients face-to-face and sometimes we do some exposure therapy. So we might meet clients out for lunch or shopping. We work face-to-face and remote. Oh, and what are some main kind of therapies that you use in your approach? Mm, So I'm quite integrative in the way that I work. Often cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders. I'm a psychodynamic psychotherapist, so also psychodynamics. 
And I also utilize quite a lot of EMDR because I think that it often helps with kind of stuck core beliefs and past trauma. So once you've kind of stabilized the disordered eating a little bit, kind of looking at more of the maintaining factors behind that, that's a little bit of my focus. And then I'll kind of bring in compassion focused and other theories that I might find or the client may find helpful. Yeah, no, I love that. I think it's great to be able to sort of bring together, isn't it, so many different tools and approaches that are very helpful around disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, Absolutely. And I think, Lauren, looking at your website as well, and on the call, looking at what some of your clients have said as well, and I think you seem to really create, I think, a real kind of warmth and strong relationship with your clients. So I think, just want to say to anyone listening, really, I think that's what really came across for anyone who is looking to perhaps get in touch or need some support. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I do think it's so important that you have a good relationship or feel like you have a really good fit with your therapist. It's 30% of the work, I think, that when you come into a space where you feel comfortable and you're able to share what's going on for you and you feel supported, I really do hope that I have that with my clients. So thank you. Okay. So Lauren, you're going to talk to us today a bit about bariatric surgery and eating disorders, which I'm very excited about because I think this is a topic that hasn't really been discussed in any depth. So I don't think we've had a specific episode on the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. And I know talking before we came on air, both you and I are experiencing a lot more clients who are about to go down the bariatric surgery route, who are going down it, who are Mm -hmm. out the other side and are really struggling with their eating in a disordered way and with their body image so can we sort of just dive in really and can you tell us a little bit about the prevalence of eating disorders within the kind of bariatric community Mm -hmm. I think it's huge also now with the weight loss drugs and everything coming in there's more and more conversation I think in the therapy world between clinicians around what they're seeing amongst their clients and I was actually looking at a study before I came on to meet with you and in 2021 they saw about 6.1 to 40 percent of clients that have or patients who had decided to undergo bariatric surgery had binge eating disorder there was quite a significant amount of disordered eating in the study and 1.2, so a little bit lower with bulimia. When people then finally decide to, and it's not everyone who undergoes bariatric surgery has an eating disorder, but I do think quite a lot of people do because they've often gotten to this place of, I can't actually manage my food. I can't manage my weight. And I need that extra support. I need that extra tool. But then that does, of course, pose a lot of challenges often when people undergo the surgery and hope that that's going to be a quick fix almost for their relationship with food. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess there's some people kind of coming to surgery that perhaps have an existing eating disorder and maybe sometimes and sometimes not that is picked up. And then I guess there are people as well, are you sort of highlighting in a way that once they have the tool of having the surgery, there's often perhaps a honeymoon period, isn't there, of where perhaps yeah. people feel like they're kind of doing better and they found the kind of solution. And maybe in many ways things are a lot better. 
But then within several months, or I think I found with some of my clients, particularly perhaps coming up to that kind of year after the surgery, they're kind of almost realizing to maintain this or to continue with further weight loss, I've got to diet. And then it kind of puts you back in that place where you were before you even went to surgery. And I guess I'm so vulnerable then, aren't you, to eating disorders? Yeah, absolutely. And I think other thing that the study showed was that around 46% of participants went back to grazing, picking and nibbling because the disordered eating wasn't managed, right? Or didn't have the right support. Because like I said, it's not this quick fix. And I think within the bariatric community, people that go through it know that. They know that it's really, really tough, hard, long journey. But I think there's still a lot of stigma from people around that when they think about bariatric surgery, that it's just going to be something that cures one's relationship with food. And it's really not that. There's a lot more work that needs to go into it. Yeah, I know. That's so true, isn't it? So I think there's a lot of pressure, isn't there? Because I guess people are often going down the private routes. They're investing a lot of their savings, already sort of saving up for this. There's a real pressure, isn't there, I think, personally, and then perhaps with your loved ones as well, that you feel like I've kind of got to make this work, really, because there's so much invested in there. So, so challenging, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And like we say, with eating disorder recovery, it's not linear. So to Mm. think that I'm going to have the surgery and it's just going to be this perfect linear process of weight loss and having this different relationship with food and it's all going to go well it's not really like that you're still going to come up against challenges and hurdles along the way yeah and no, very true what about kind of screening and assessment for eating disorders before people go for surgery during and after I know some clients that I've sort of spoken to like there does seem to be some sort of screening in place but I think I'm wondering if people often slip through the cracks. I can imagine if I was in that situation where I was really desperate to have surgery and I pinned all my hopes on it, I might not want to fully reveal the full picture of things if that was going to close that door to me. So, yeah, yeah, I'm wondering what your sort of thoughts are about that. Absolutely. I was thinking the same when I was considering this question. By the time you decide that you're going to or that you would like the surgery, or that you've been approved to have the surgery, or you're on the process, you're in quite a desperate place. This is going to be this thing that's going to really help me. And I can just imagine the fear of someone turning around, a clinician saying, no, I don't think you're ready because of a disordered eating history. That can bring a lot of feelings of defeat and hopelessness because it is quite a long journey. But I do think in the long run, if you're able to kind of separate the emotions from it, it is better to have the assessment and have someone to help manage the eating disorder and give you the tools for that because that's going to continue even with or without the surgery. Sadly, I have had contact with some of the psychologists and clinicians that are really specialist bariatric psychologists, and they've said that some of the treatment teams don't have psychologists or clinicians on their team. So I can absolutely imagine that people are slipping through the cracks or they're going to Turkey or overseas to try and get the surgery done, kind of left with very limited support when they return home. Yeah, no, definitely. It's something that really needs to be improved on, doesn't it? And I guess even like conversations like this and increased awareness, hopefully as well, more people will be sort of 
asking for it. And also, I think it's just so important, isn't it, that clinicians, before they're like doing the surgery, that they're really taking this sort of psychological aspect of relationship with food into account, because otherwise they're just not doing anyone any favours, are they? Absolutely. And I think just reassuring and maybe even for me to maybe reassure some of the listeners that are interested in the surgery, that if you have the surgery tomorrow or next week or next month, you will still undergo the process, but do it in a way that's going to be this lifelong change, right? It is a gift for those that really do want it and medically and health-wise, that is the best option. But it also is a very high risk, quite a big, serious surgery. Sadly, we don't like to talk about it, but some clients have died or passed away because there's complications often due to disordered eating or maybe not being able to manage the food post-surgery to rather think about the long-term health benefits, well-being, this lifelong change of your relationship with food and your body, rather do the work in the beginning. Yeah, and sure, it's just really engaging with the long game, isn't it? And I think it's hard for all of us. I just think with anything these days, we want the quick fix, don't we? We really do. (laughs) It's like compassion and understanding to people, really. And I think if you've been struggling with all these issues for so long, it can probably just seem like a kind of miracle fix and you just want it all done ASAP, don't you? But yeah, I think you're just so wise, really. It's really trying to engage with the long game and just take all the different factors into account. Absolutely. Can you say a bit more as well about the complex interplay between bariatric surgery and eating disorders, perhaps looking at the sort of psychological, emotional, and social factors? Mm. If we think about disordered eating and food being the way that we cope, our coping mechanism, something that we may control, something that may soothe us. A lot of clients that have had disordered eating for a really long time say, I'm so tired of this, Lauren. But there is a secondary gain always. It does give us something. But just having the surgery, that's not going to take away the soothing effect or the relationship that we then had with food. I think in the beginning, the bariatric surgery makes it really almost a little bit easier because there is a bit more restraint around food because your pouch can only contains so much so you can't really overindulge or eat what you want to eat you may feel sick you may develop what people call dumping syndrome where you eat and you feel really unwell it's almost like a bit of like guess people experience it a little bit like hypoglycemia that kind of helps you steer away but over time that does change you are able to eat a little bit more not feel as nauseous or whatever it might be when you eat and slowly slowly you may start picking you may start going back to food as you're soothing if we haven't found another way to manage your emotions or your feelings and I think a high majority of patients post-operation often do struggle with this kind of transfer addiction where they're shopping Mm. to soothe their feelings where you might go into gambling or alcohol. Alcohol is a massive issue within this population. And that all just shows us all kind of red flags for us that there almost was this use of food as a coping mechanism. And that isn't going to go away without being able to identify that and work on that and learn to manage your feelings a little bit differently. 
Have you had a lifelong struggle with your weight and gone down the surgery route? Have you been caught in the diet cycle, losing and gaining the same weight repeatedly? And perhaps you pinned all of your hopes on bariatric surgery, but to only realize that head hunger, food noise and emotional eating have returned along with a fear of weight regain. You are not alone on the Gastric Mindset podcast. Safi shares real life stories from people who have had weight loss surgery and she interviews experts to help you understand the deep rooted psychological and behavioral aspects that make it achievable to find long term weight loss success. Safi is eight years post-op and a therapeutic practitioner who is passionate about making psychological support accessible to all. The Gastric Mindset podcast is out every Friday and can be found on all major podcast platforms. Yeah, and it makes so much sense. And it's really interesting, actually, because I guess it's no surprise that there's that transfer of addiction. And I didn't appreciate, actually, as many people do end up turning to things like alcohol or shopping or gambling, just as another way to soothe their feelings. Mm, Absolutely. And I think also the significant body changes. We might think, well, this is going to be amazing, but you may be perceived differently. You might get more comments. We also hear of marriages having breakdowns in that when partners and that lose a lot of weight because the dynamic changes. You change as a person. You're able to do more. You're able to engage with life differently. It's a whole life change. And I've definitely found that with some of my clients that have been through this process it's way more than about a weight loss journey, isn't it? It's about, it often mm-hmm. turns into quite a sort of spiritual, transformative kind of life awakening, really, where, yeah, yes. things do go in a different direction. And it can be quite a lot to get your head around, I think, can't it? And very unexpected, maybe, because before you go down that road, you probably do think it's all about the weight and your body. And it is about that, mm. but it's about so much more as well. Absolutely. It's about giving you your life back, but it happens so quickly. And I think you and I both know, especially with our disordered eating clients, that's a long process. (laughs) Recovery is not quick. And I think with bariatric surgery, all of these things happen quite quickly. So having the support around you to kind of navigate those and help like let them land for you Mm. is really important. Yeah, and it's so important. What are your thoughts as well? Like I think several people I've worked with as well have become quite frustrated maybe where they haven't lost as much weight as they'd hoped for. They're in a a much better place. They've got to a place where they are so much more, I guess their health is better. They can be much more mobile. They can do stuff with their kids. Their life has opened up in a very transformative way. But there's a sense of disappointment that the surgery perhaps hasn't met the expectation that they thought the dream that was going to achieve in quite the same way. And I think that seems to be quite a common thing, doesn't it? It's sort of, and perhaps it's quite a different journey for everyone. And you can't really predict what it's going to look like for each person. Absolutely. And I think what comes to mind when you share this is kind of set point theory that some of us, our set points a little bit higher than maybe what we would imagine it to be. But mm-hmm. I think. Again, it's about looking at what else is it bringing into our life. I think if we get stuck on this train of, oh, I haven't lost as much weight as I would have liked to, we do become a little bit more 
disordered in our eating, maybe more restrictive then, maybe avoiding food groups. And then we, again, we have this other challenge where it becomes so all or nothing instead of remembering the reasons why we had the surgery in the first place to kind of get our life back. And like you said, looking at the bigger picture, looking at, oh my goodness, your health is so much better. You're able to do so much more. You're in a totally different position than you were. And it still reminds me of that disordered thinking of whatever you are on the scale, it's never enough. Mm. Right? That we hear from our, our eating disorder clients. And it never is enough. The grass is never really greener on the other side. And that's quite disordered. Instead of saying, well, let's see what else in my life I can value and engage with now to make it full and amazing. And yeah, and I'm so with you. I guess with anything in life, is it when we kind of start to focus on it in an unhealthy and an obsessive way, it's really hard to win, isn't it? Because of there's no one thing. I mean, I'm sort of thinking, so often sort of joke about this with my clients. I was sort of saying that, you know, if I was looking every day in the mirror to see how wrinkly I was becoming, I'll probably very quickly become quite dissatisfied because, you know, what you focus on expands, doesn't it? And you start to zoom in on, (laughs) of course, like really unhelpful thing to do. It's like anything, isn't it? We can get quite fixated as human beings and yeah, get into that very all or nothing sort of way of judging ourselves. And then it's so hard to feel good enough. To help people focus not just on the weight loss wins after surgery, but also your life wins. Were you Mm -hmm. able to run after the bus in the morning, which you may not have been able to do before, or do a hike with a friend, or spend all day out with your family, all of those things. I think we should be looking at those as well, not just the weight loss wins. Yeah, and I really agree, actually. And I think some of my clients actually have talked to me about the non-scale victories. You're not focusing on the number, but yeah, you're doing exactly what you're saying, really. Focusing much more on what your body can do, the experiences you can enjoy, Mm. yeah, how your life has opened up. Um, Absolutely. And I think such an important point as well, for you just mentioning before as well about set point, because I think, as we know, with the body mass index and how that is often used, it's not that helpful, is it, for quite a lot of people? You know, if you are taller, if you are bigger boned or more muscular, just naturally, your set point may be above what is deemed to be a healthy BMI. And it's so important, I think, not to get too fixated on BMI and to really kind of work with your individual body and where your body is genuinely happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So could you talk a bit about, I think we've covered some of this already, but anything perhaps more you want to mention about post-surgery challenges? Mm, I think it's just to remember that it's not just we go in and we have the operation. I think it's so important that you have a team kind of holding your hands and coming alongside you as you navigate the entirety of this journey. In the beginning months, you can only eat, I think you go from liquid food to a little bit more mushy food to normal food. And then your experience of going out socially also changes because you're not able to just in the beginning order a proper meal. You have to kind of consider what you order at restaurants, drinking alcohol. For many people in the beginning months, you can't drink liquid or water and eat at the same time. So it's all of these things you're needing to navigate. So kind of having a dietitian or your therapist to help you with that and manage that and go slowly, slowly and manage all of the feelings that have come up as you go through it. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. 
you know, I was sort of thinking one of my clients actually very sensibly after her surgery, she sort of took some time away from work. Mm. You just took a bit of time out. And I think it's almost I'm sort of thinking as well a bit like kind of when people have had a baby or something, you need to really be very gentle and kind with yourself, don't you? Because it's a lot mentally and physically to deal with. And it's going to take mm. time to adjust. And it's really important, isn't it, to build that in and not just expect yourself to be sort of back into normal life within a few weeks or probably even months absolutely again it can be so exciting but then I think when we think about it we're excited and we're hopeful and all of these things but we don't we forget that there may be the challenges and the heartbreak and the getting on the scale and not doing what you want and all of those things that we're needing to hold and manage and be kind to yourself, almost wrap yourself in cotton wool a little bit and give yourself some comfort as you go through this new way of being. Because it's almost the process of starting on liquids. And that reminds me of almost being a baby and Mm. weaning off mom and starting weaning on different foods and all of these things. It's this whole new experience. I know, absolutely. Can I just ask you as well, what are your sort of thoughts about the use of social media around all of this? I'm just thinking of some of my own clients and perhaps it's been quite mixed feedback. Like I think in some ways it's been massively supportive and helpful being able to connect with other people on the same journey, but also the classic stuff, isn't it? There's a lot of comparison. Maybe other people seem to be doing better. Sometimes other people aren't talking about any disordered eating or anything. Someone thinks, oh, there's just something wrong with me. Yeah, I just wondered about any of your thoughts really about all of that. I think it is going to be a mixed bag. Maybe from the outset to almost just make a deal with yourself that if the group is serving you and it's supportive and you feel that it's something important on your journey, great. But when it starts, because I know that people can start to almost collude a little bit and go against the advice of the dietitian, and maybe you start this a little bit earlier, then I think try to be sensible and move away from it because it can become harmful. The comparison can start and that that isn't really helpful. Yeah, and it makes a lot of sense, really. And it sounds like really it's applying the same kind of wisdom <laughs> that we all hope yeah. to try and apply to just social media generally, is it really? A lot about, is it really serving me and thinking about being intentional and just having awareness around it, I guess, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then what about sort of collaborative care in terms of just professionals really kind of connecting and being joined up and perhaps particularly with that kind of crossover between sort of mental health and people that are doing the more kind of practical support work? Mm. I do think that people do better when they have an experienced team. So I think the first thing I'd probably say is, If you're looking to have bariatric surgery and you see that the team doesn't have a dietitian or a therapist, that for me would be a red flag. I think we've really honed into this longevity, this long haul approach. And I think, yes, surgery is the big bang, the important thing. But I think afterwards is where most of the work happens. Having a dietitian to help you with your food and help with the transition and someone that is specialized, all of these people should be specialized with bariatrics or had had experience with it. And then a therapist to kind of help you with the feelings and that have come up for you as you go through this journey. I know that some people do have nurse practitioners that kind of coordinate care. But again, I think very similar to probably the clients and patients that we see, 
it's so much more holding for people when the team is saying the same thing and they're coming together and on your journey to support you. I think when people are not really collaborating, it can sometimes get a little bit confusing. I know it does work for some people, but I think when there are established teams with surgeons, I think that often does work quite well. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because I guess with the best will in the world, really, if you're not working as a team and you're not having that regular communication, of course, things are going to be a bit different, aren't they, in the way they're approached, the way things are communicated. Yeah, I'm so with you, really, that sort of team approach and and a team that really appreciates the benefit of having psychology as part of that bigger picture and expertise is really important. Absolutely. Because even in South Africa, I was quite closely connected with the bariatric teams there and in London. And even their approach is different. So what people could have there is different to what they can have here. And that will bring concern and anxiety to people. So I think, again, you can choose your therapist and your dietitian and whatnot, but maybe ask for them to be able to collaborate so that everyone is on the same page. So, Lauren, for anyone listening, maybe who is listening to this and is identifying, actually, I think I might have an eating disorder or disordered eating, gone down. Mm -hmm. I'm either thinking of going down this route or I've gone down it, I'm out the other side. What would you say to them, you know, if they're feeling perhaps very lonely, very ashamed, just not knowing which way to turn? I think the first thing I would say is that there is support, right? There are people and professionals that are out there that do have knowledge and expertise in these areas and that are so happy and open to work with people that are struggling. So many people come through my door and say, I don't even know if I have an eating disorder. What's going on with me? I have this weird and wonderful relationship with food, but I don't know if it's actually an issue. And that's okay. Sometimes even that's a good starting point. I want people to know that there is support. It's just finding the right support, the right fit for you. Mm, So true, isn't it? And I think I'm just completely support everything you're saying there. And I think as we're sort of talking here as well, and, you know, you're sort of sharing the statistics, people who are listening, sometimes you might feel really isolated and alone, but actually these issues are just so much more common than are talked about. It's just kind of giving people permission, really, isn't it, to actually, you're not the only one struggling with this do reach out for help. There is support. And like you say, even if you're unsure or if you have an eating disorder or disordered eating, just going to talk it through could be a good first step. Absolutely. And even when I look at these stats, for some people, they may think that this is high or low. I actually think this is quite low, especially with the people that we see come through our doors. I think that there's probably a lot more people struggling with disordered eating within this population. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I definitely agree. Lauren, where can people find you if they want to maybe work with you, get in contact with you? What's the best way to do that? There's a contact form on my website, um, www.thehopespace.co.uk. And I'm also on Instagram under The Hope Space. So if they're happy to reach out there or on the website, that's the best way to get hold of me. Okay, fantastic. Well, I just really want to thank you, Lauren. I really appreciate you coming on, talking about this subject. I think it's so important. And yeah, I really appreciate you sort of sharing all your wisdom and expertise and in such a compassionate way as well. I'm sure a lot of people 
are going to just get some sort of comfort and reassurance and feel supported, you know, by listening to this. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it as well. Thanks, Lauren. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all the info about the Hope Space in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.